Wednesday night, and you know what that means. The boys are together to watch footy, watch footy, talk footy. It's footy and frothies. Barney, Ollie, and Dag. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> That's just. It's footy and frothies, everybody. Oh, fucking hell. It's a review show. Round 13, Barney, <laughs> Ollie and um, Daggy with you to talk all things rugby league. Uh, from a, an uneventful day, not much has happened today at all. No, nothing. Um, I had a flu Especially shot. Especially in rugby league. I feel like shit. Mm. Um, I don't know. Mrs. has COVID. Ollie's got a haircut. Oh, they say these things happen in threes, so, you know, there they are. Um, how are you, David? <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm a bit the same with you, mate. Um, it just seems to be one of those days where everything's harder than it seems to be, and you get a kick in the teeth along the way. But we're here. We're about to talk about some footy and the origin, which I'm excited about. What happened to your teeth? And it's good Who to see your you? smiling faces. Hey, Who kicked you? What happened? Uh, it's just one of just one of those days, mate. You bring up, you know, someone mentioned something and it triggers something in you, and it just sort of, you know, mm. one of those days. It's just harder than it needs to be. So. Yeah, I know all about that, Oliver. You look refreshed after your uh, origin camp. What's yes, I, day of sightseeing. In infiltrated the Queensland camp, one hundred percent planned, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and got some valuable information. So I was looking to um to take the missus out on a nice night in Parramatta, take her to a favorite restaurant, and we get there and it turns out we're staying at the same place as the the Queensland Maroons. So today got to me to feel them walking around Church Street down by the river and um, at Combank Stadium. It was good. Got some valuable information. Billy Slater and Cameron Smith like coffee in the morning. Yeah. Um, just looking as well, about half the players were out at breakfast this morning as well. Write this down. Um, breakfast. So they eat breakfast? Yep, good. Yes. Um, mm. Harry. I saw Harry Grant from a distance coming out of what looks like a convenience store with a bag possibly full of chips and lollies and stuff. Um, and I saw Tino, chips. Tino and Josh Papali'i coming out of Parramatta Westfield. So we know that they like shopping. So Brad Fittler, do with that what you will. All right. Well, what's the, uh, what's the buzz with Ollie these days? There we go. Sure, sure, whatever it is. A buzz cut. Imagine It is a buzz cut. Well done. Looks like a buzz cut and blow dry the way you're going there. Um, this is all very riveting. Isn't it? <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, quickly tick off the boring stuff. Uh, Carl Lawton's out for the season. ACL. Preston Campbell's son, uh, Jaden, is out for eight weeks. Um, see the smother there? Yeah, eight weeks with a hamstring, unfortunately, just when he was starting to get into a bit of a groove, or as much as a groove as you can get into in, uh, in that certain rugby league team. And Latrell has COVID, so he's out this week. Uh, Jordan Rapana took a one-week ban. That's all the news. Nothing else happened today? 
something oh. about a couple of coaches. I don't know. Probably. All right. So um, for, we'll, we'll go in chronological order. <laughs> Nathan Brown and the Warriors have parted way, allegedly on the back of his revelation that he didn't want to actually go to New Zealand. Uh, they seem to have kept that from him. That, <laughs> that at some point the New Zealand Warriors <laughs> may have been based out of New Zealand. So um, shock horror, he's parted ways. But uh, well, after their performance on the weekend, uh, that if ever there was a sackable effort, that might have been close to it. Barney, any thoughts on Brownie? And what does the future hold for his illustrious coaching career? I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as they make it out to be. Um, obviously, he's got some uh, children heading in towards the HSC and all the rest of it. And um, he he did say to the Warriors that he's willing to go there for the final year of his contract if needed. But obviously, it's probably better for them. And obviously not here. I, I don't see him getting another job. Um, no. I, I can't see him getting another first grade job in the NRL. Uh, he may get an assistance role somewhere. He's a very good or, origin uh, um, water boy. Yeah, seems to be quite popular yeah. at that. Maybe that's an option. Or a, um, a specialist coaching maybe helps someone with some dummy half plays or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think you might he may pop up in a couple of years overseas somewhere. But yeah, I can't see him coaching in the NRL again. And um, yeah, well, at the end of the day, if we, if he's um, got his heart set on not going to New Zealand, New Zealand are best to cut ties now and try and find someone that's willing to. Because most teams, I think set up for three to five years down the track, so there's no point keeping someone around if they're only going to be there for another 12 months, is it? Ollie? I just think, like, if, if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm extremely pissed off, um, especially because it's now happened with at least two players and your head coach. It's like, what were players doing for years um, prior to 2020 when they went to the Warriors? Did they not know that they had to move to New Zealand to play for them? And I feel like, and I've seen people with the argument as well. It's like, oh, well, they didn't know when they were going back at the time. We didn't know what was happening with COVID. If you sign with the New Zealand Warriors, you should 100% be going in with the knowledge that there's a good chance I'm probably going to end up living in New Zealand. Like, I don't know, just a hunch maybe because, mm. like, it's happened with you and Aiken now. It's happened with Matt Lodge and especially with Nathan Brown, this situation. Again, it could actually be something else, right? And this is sort of just what they're saying to keep the media, et cetera, happy. Maybe but it's, it, they've known for a while. So, first of all, he signed with the club um, and then they should have been saying, well, we're eventually going to move back to New Zealand, like – are you prepared to move back with us? Another thing is also they've known now the date that they're going back or their first game back in New Zealand for a while now, since before the start of the year. It was actually, it was actually postponed because it, it was supposed to be yeah. early. Again, it was meant to be about three yeah. weeks ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. But still, it's like they've known for a while now that, they're going back, I think it's the first week of July against the Tigers. I th think that's been knowledge for about two months now. And I don't know if this is a decision that's just been made now. Well, it's like, well, you've known for this long. Anyway, I just think the whole thing, using that sort of as an excuse, I don't know. I feel like people should really just be, if you're going to sign with the Warriors, expect to live in New Zealand. But that, that's just sort of my bugbear over it. I think it's very unfair to the club and – um. Fans should be sick of it at this point, I think. 
I think you might be a little bit there, right there, Ollie, to be honest. I think it probably just comes as, an, as a convenient excuse at the end of the day. I think they're probably going to sack him and rather than it, you know, looking like a, a um, eventual end for both parties, they can just sort of get out of it as a um, mutual agreement rather than a sacking. So. I was going to say, it's a, it's a decent excuse for them to be able to use if there ever was one right now. I just had this this thought. Um, did Stephen Kearney go back for compassionate reasons or was he given the arse a few years ago? He was given the arse, I'm pretty sure. For results, sort of, yeah. general. Yeah. Okay. Now, just if I thought if he'd gone home, whether um, that might be back on the table. Um, the, the issue with the, the simple issue the Warriors, this simple issue, we can't even fucking talk today. Simple <laughs> issue with the Warriors is that. Um, they brought in Gus to recreate their pathway structures. They haven't been in a country for two years. Do they have a like? They probably don't have a pathway structure right now. So whoever's coming oh, no. in has to essentially build a club from scratch. Uh, they haven't. I don't think the junior. I don't even know what the junior base has been like for the last couple of years. Whether you know rugby's completely erased it off the map. I don't. I don't know. And in a competition where, let's be honest, after this round we are. There are more wooden spoon chances than there are premiership chances. How long is it going to take for the Warriors to be any threat at all in the next five years? And who's going to put in that time? Well, if you short of a bloke who maybe just tried for the last five years, another shit club. But yeah, well, it just speaking about like the juniors coming through over there in New Zealand, you sort of think about how the New Zealand side is sort of looking at the moment. Um, at least the one that the Blake we're about to talk about is going to be coaching. Um, there's not actually, for, for probably the first time, there aren't probably going to be that many or as many Warriors players in the New Zealand side, which it, it's usually about half the team. So they, they're actually losing a lot of the talent that's coming through mm. to other clubs at young ages as well. So I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Well, I think it's, it essentially needs to be... I hate to say it because they say it all the time about Newcastle and say it all the time about some of those other clubs, but they need to actually find a way to re-embrace the whole community and um, create a culture, for those who can't see the film, um, I'm doing air quotes, but uh, <laughs> like, yeah, get back to, I guess, what, what were their best years, 2011, 20, you know, mid-2000, mid to early 10s, Uh and try There's and probably no better scratch. time to do it than now, to be honest. Um, well, they've got nothing Stacey to James, Stacey Jones being confirmed? Uh, interim. But he'll see the year out interim. like everyone else will. He's the kind of bloke that's... If they're going to put someone in there for the long term, uh, Stacey Jones probably not a bad idea, uh, especially they've always had a problem with the consistency with halves. He's been one of the most consistent halves outside of your top-tier players for a long time. Um, he had a fantastic career over there and... I think the rest of this year basically needs to be some sort of um, carnival atmosphere. I think they need to sort of cut prices and let people in the gates for basically nothing and just, you know, offer something back to the community and get that sort of groundswell happening and then try to build on it going into next year. But It'd be very interesting to see how much their fan base has even eroded. A win or two at home probably wouldn't hurt us either. Mm. <laughs> well, you'd have to think probably that first game will be near a sellout, just the... Um, the novelty of the worries being back. But what you're speaking about, Barney, sort of sparked in my head, not, not necessarily the carnival atmosphere, but sort of, funnily enough, the way the worries played in 2020 under Todd Payton 
when Stephen Kearney got sacked because they, I think they, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they actually won more games than they lost under Todd Payton for the rest of that year. I just think the start to the season was so poor that they didn't end up finishing in the top eight. But that was sort of, the pressure was completely off. They were sort of able to, they're on the Central Coast at the time. Now, if they go back to New Zealand, the pressure will be off. And again, you've got a club legend who who has never coached before. So he's going to be not really under any pressure. And overall, probably wouldn't be there next year. Um, so I'm not saying they go on to win more games than they lose now, uh, because I don't think it's as strong a squad. But that's probably what they need, just the pressure taken completely off for the rest of the year. 2022 is essentially a write-off and just do as best as you can. So do we get to the elephant in the dollhouse now or what? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, Michael McGuire has been terminated effective immediately by the West Tigers. Brett Cornwall will take over till the end of the year. Thoughts, Oliver? Oh, you're not going first? All right. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, do you want us to have our say first or are you going to go? There you go. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like, yeah, he's brewing up a good one here. Yeah. Um, I did that before the show. It's always been a bit hard, I guess, for me with Michael Maguire because he's never someone who I've considered a shit coach by any standard at all or someone who definitely doesn't deserve a job in the NRL. He inherited a side that was poor, didn't necessarily make all the best decisions in terms of recruitment um, and where to invest, etc. And, of course, um, a lot of the talk over the years has been, um, and I know from Daggy a little bit as well as a Tigers fan, the higher ups, uh, we, uh, it's pretty obvious that the more real issues are with the club themselves, um, as opposed to necessarily who you've got on, the, well, who you've got on the field has a bit of an impact, but your coach, I feel like the coach has been a bit of a sca- scapegoat. Um, the past couple of coaches, at least for the Tigers, um, I just, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, like looking to the future as well, um, especially for Madge. Could he end up back in an NRL job some point in the future? I don't know, to be honest. Like he could, like at the, at the moment, I wouldn't know really, but, uh, well, none of us know, but I don't know if I could see him back in a job in the NRL after this turmoil at the Tigers. Like the media's been on him a, a fair bit the past two and a half years as well. And it's where do the Tigers really go from here? Because I don't know if there's a specific right answer or anyone who at least in the short term can get them out of their current rut, to be honest. Yeah, so I agree with Ollie for a major part of this. Um, his, his biggest problem to me has always seemed to have been his recruitment strategies. Uh, he's never seemed to bring in any big names, whether that's he can't attract it or the club can't attract the players to come in. And some of the people he's let go in his time have been uh, some of the worst decisions in the NRL for the last sort of 40, four to five years. And the blokes he's brought in to replace them have generally gone out of the side pretty quickly. Um 
he seems pretty impatient with the younger players and overly patient with some of the older heads in the team. Uh, whereas realistically, you probably should be that probably should be switched around, and uh, you know you're a little bit more lenient on your younger fellas and give them that bit more of a run at, at the game. And the guy and your top blokes who aren't performing really need that they're kicking the ass and to be put back down into reserve grade for a couple of weeks to um, get their head right or whatever's going on at the time. So I, I, I think he sort of got that mixed up a little bit. I did throw up some uh, crazy mix of what was going to happen about two months ago on the group chat where I, I did mention that I thought Madge may end up at the Bulldogs, who probably wouldn't be a bad fit there because it looks like he, he wouldn't be involved too much with the recruitment. It'd be somebody else that would be doing most of the recruitment and he would just have to put the pieces together. And then you'd have uh, Brad Arthur dropped and he goes into the Tigers position and um, someone like... Flanagan moves into the Parramatta team to try and push for a premiership. Uh, although I'm not sure he may take that now because there seems to be a few more of those pieces that are going out of the door at Parramatta now as well. But uh, that's something I did mention. Madge McGuire, obviously he had his, um, he peaked with the, with the South Sydney team, but he had a pretty good team that he walked into to begin with there. Uh, I just think he has issues with identifying talent. I don't know if that's the people he has around him or whether it's him overriding the people around him. And um, as I mentioned, I just think he, he he's a bit backwards in the way that um, he crucifies the younger players and sort of um, he's a bit too lenient on some of his older players. But Yeah, I am... Um... I I I I, th- I assume he was coach again in the NRL. Uh, I've been wrong before, but we you know we thought Bar- Barrett and Brown would never coach again, and he'll hey, probably get a crack. position like but Brown got to try and rebuild. There's two. Right? Well, he may well be, and he's already the New Zealand coach. He may well be the one that goes there and has a crack at it. If he is a, the, the, from what I've heard, he's a basically a coach or nothing. Like he's a lifetime head coach, so. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, maybe he's the right guy uh, after having just put four years into the club, and then maybe on the dawn of, the, you know, the edge of the dawn, to to, to be shit canned. Maybe he doesn't want to go through all that again either. So maybe you know, I'm sure someone will take him up as an assistant or something like that down the road somewhere. Or you know, you might be as a fan. Up- come on, rip in son. I don't even want to say. Man. Like it's been, I've said enough over the last fourteen weeks. Um, I hope they make the right next decision. It was I, I watched the whole of Tim Sheen's press conference this afternoon. It is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought the standout point, and maybe I'm reading between my own lines, uh, is that they are now developed like they've invested so much into infrastructure and the development of these young players, and they've cleaned up the, all the junior junior grades. They want to build the future around them before they want to go and try and buy a team, and they're looking for a development coach, which. Uh, which I respect, which is fine, which is uh, which is what Penrith have done. So, if, and all the mail I've had, knowing parents and, and players within that system, and speak them firsthand, they rave about it and say how great it is and how great the all the development and all the your Robbie Farrers and that are hands on with those juniors and and it's fantastic. So, if that is the way they're going, and it was. <laughs> what that meant to me is I wouldn't be surprised if it's the last big name the Tigers get rid of this year, if you know what I mean. Uh, I suspect oh, all the guarantees that were given to Madge at the start of the year were also given to, say, our, f- I guess, 5'8 these days, 
Uh, I suspect now they've been had their mid-season review. Maybe that that goes back on the table, and they look at how they crowbar him out, especially now Dewey's fit. Uh, because the mail is they well Madge, and again it's tricky, but Madge wanted Dewey to come back and play six, and that would have been moving Bluebrook somewhere else. So maybe that comes back on the table. Maybe they get the big pen, the big uh, broom out, and try and clean out some of the other uh, senior. Deadwood, for lack of a better term. But, look, uh, in terms of Madge, I, I do feel sorry for him because, realistically, they probably could have won three or four other games this year, at least. Uh, and the thing is, when you don't win those games, that's got to be, you know, you can't just not win games and be unlucky every week, even though they are. Um, you know, they, they uh, haven't had their best player. They've had luck go against them. I, think, I believe they've had calls go against them. I believe they've had injury go against them. But... Um, Tim Sheen's made the right call to me. If this is the right direction they're heading, do it now. They want to be. They want to be spending money by November. They want to be giving guarantee. I assume. Look, I, I assume they were going to chase Geraldo and work backwards. Whatever that means, I'd be disappointed if they do end up with someone else that's not. You know, just go, go and pick up a Trent Barrett or someone because he's the only one that left. But um, you know, Noddy has a has a chance now to. He spoke quite well. He has a chance to maybe. Have you know three months with the team, and who knows what happens? Uh, I believe from well, from everything I've heard, the player group wasn't was a bit stunned about it all, and not quite, you know, didn't have much to say, and was a bit disappointed. So, but as I said, with the Bulldogs player group, who are all the same. Doesn't that come back to you, blokes? Maybe you should have tried a bit harder. But um, <laughs> but oh, I think I basically I was, I hope they make the right decision going forward. If Tim Sheen's involved, I'm sure. It feels a lot like the board, who we've been critical of, allegedly washed their hands of this, and it was a Tim Sheen's decision, and Tim Sheen seemed to indicate that was the case. So I assume Tim Sheen's would take the rap or otherwise for the next plate that comes in. So he'll have, he'll have someone in mind, like I said, whether it's Serato, whether it's, uh, as people have intimated to me, uh, that uh, he's been in touch with Flanagan already, whatever. Uh, I, I think Flanagan's been good. His analysis is obviously, apart from the stupid stuff he's done over emails and with other doctors, uh, he's a very smart man. It comes across, and he's a premiership winning coach. So it, someone's going to pick up a decent team, a decent team of young players and a decent team that's picking up uh, the best hooker in the comp and the best second row in the comp in, in probably at least a couple of our opinions. So they're going to pick up a team that's going to be better than seven other teams next year, and it'll be to see which way they go with it. Um, That's probably the one thing that I do feel uh, disappointed in Madge for, really, because they're probably the the best two signings that he's made or the club's made in his entire tenure, and then now he doesn't get a chance to um, have a go with those players. But um, Roy's been on the wall for a couple of years. Uh, Gaz, a good friend of the show, suggested the uh, timing might indicate more than that. Well, that maybe he they've seen the opportunity to let him go to the Warriors, if that is the case. But uh, I think Possibly. that's what you meant in that message. Anyway, um, that could <laughs> yeah. work out that way. But uh, we'll wait and see. Like, uh, they, they said the right things. That it, the emphasis on development was very interesting, I thought. And as we all know, Serralo's been the development guy, the, the Spruik development guy um, for a long time. But at the end of the day, he's never been a head first grade coach, so we don't quite know what that means either. So we will... We'll see where it all pans out, and they have they've got about a million bucks to spend next year too. So if they can get someone early enough with a reputation, maybe they can add to that list. If they do crowbar another one or two out, yeah. So Brooks and Tamos, and maybe in one or two others, then 
Who knows? Yeah, so changes afoot. At the end of the day, you know, I can only be so miserable for so long, so hopefully changes afoot. That's all we can say. Uh, any other? There hasn't really been much to uh-huh. to discuss apart from that. Any questions? Into it, eh? No. No. Nope. Yep. Have you blokes any questions for me? But that's fine. Let's move on. Uh Oh, well, question without notice and uh, zero time to think about this. Off the top of your head, which three coaches would you plug into the clubs in question or do you want to have some time to think about that? Ooh. Uh, we might come back there on Thursday. We've got plenty of other stuff to talk about for now. Have some thought and we'll talk about that Thursday night when we look back on Origin as well as uh, preview round 14. Let's get to round. My, my top three options would probably be obviously Flanagan, um, not uh, who was the bloke up at Green Green from the Cowboys, who's now longer doesn't have a job, and probably Tuvi. I don't know how Tuvi still doesn't get thrown around as um, someone he had that team humming pretty well when he got. I thought he got pretty well pushed out, and um, yeah, another one, Dean Pay. He could probably do a job somewhere, mm. but um, yeah. Paul Green might be the right guy for for the Warriors. Depends. It depends. He wants to go to New Zealand. But I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick and stick with um with Stacey Jones, to be honest. If yeah. he if he does show that he's got some sort of coaching now so over the next ten rounds or so, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to make him a long term coach. And there are sprooks on you, you know, Christian Wolfs and um Jason Rolls is someone whose name you hear a lot away from necessarily the top top brass, but yeah. what that well, all means I don't know. Christian Wolf seems to be the favourite for the Warriors at the moment. And, and if um, he's relocating, it does it probably much of a muchness Australia or New Zealand. Yeah, honest. exactly. Well, yeah, he's already over in England, so if he has to relocate, I, I did read that um, he's on the Titans' radar. Oh, <laughs> well, so are we so. just going to recycle St Helens coaches every few years? Yeah. No, well, this one's going. Why not? He might be better than the other one. You never know. <laughs> just add to the roundabout. All right, that's enough. I don't know if there's anything yeah, else we need to talk go. about. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk look, about the Titans. Yes, let's talk about the Titans. Well, you led this team well. With uh, 32-6, the Cowboys uh, missing their stars, well, put the sword to a very average Titans outfit. Admittedly lost two players through injury um, throughout the game, but uh, – after about 10 minutes, it was pretty clear this wasn't going to be a competitive barn. Um, stats and um, what do you think? Yeah, we had one try to six. One out of one conversions played four out of six. 75% completion played 77%. 28 out of 37 sets played 35 out of 45. Three line breaks to the Titans, five to the Cowboys. 46 tackle busts to the Titans, 38 to the Cowboys. One uh, inside, the t- uh, sorry, 10 offloads to 11, two force dropouts. 0-40-20s, 374 tackles played 310 by the Cowboys. Two ruck infringements to one, zero inside the 10s to one. Seven penalties conceded by the Titans, three conceded by the Cowboys. 12 errors to 10. McIntyre made 51 tackles, Robson with 40. Corey Thompson with 153 running metres, drink water with 226. Osako missed four tackles, made six. Chad missed six and made 20. Drink water missed five and made seven. Drinkwater with 119 supercoach points, two Aluggy with 91, then three other Cowboys players before you got down to Aaron Clark on 72 points for the Titans. Titans started fast, looked like a better team. Uh, the first 15 minutes, um, 
lot of energy and they were actually trying to stretch the Cowboys on the edges. They were they were playing uh, sort of side to side a little bit, which after the first 15 minutes, I think sort of came back to bite them because they didn't set up that platform properly. Uh, the Cowboys got a bit of a decent amount of possession and then started to push through the middle of the Titans, bent it backwards, and then they just kept pushing it until it broke. Um, and then once the middle was broken, the Titans are pretty much out of this game. Cowboys were coming through the middle with the big guys and then the centers and wingers were jagging back through the middle as well. Uh, Drinkwater started to chime into the back line and his passing game, as I think we've all mentioned every second week, seems to come up and um, his passing game is really starting to come to the fore for the the Cowboys. When they get in good field position, he's the one, the link man that slides into the back line and um, he puts, with some beautiful ball playing, starts putting away back rowers and centers and wingers for tries, so... Um, the Titans did sort of come back and would fight a little bit in that second half. They they didn't make it super easy for the Cowboys. But when whenever it was needed, Jason Tamalolo just had some really big efforts. There was a couple of runs where he bumped off three and four blokes and got an offload away or a short pass, which led to a, a line break. And um, he was sort of the catalyst of breaking open that middle again once the Titans did sort of get a little bit of starch in their defence. But... Yeah, the um, the the middles, the halves and the forwards were okay, but um, there was no huge impact from the backs from either side realistically, or all the Cowboys. But um, Jolliffe was Jolliffe was pretty good. Mo and AJ were okay. Uh, Sexton was playing well, but he's definitely not a back foot. Halfback, you can't make things happen when they're on the back foot, um, which only the top couple of halves can do that kind of thing. Um, McIntyre was close to their best, and Aaron Clark was definitely the best player. He's growing into a decent hooker, um, and he's pretty good in defence as well for a smaller player. So I thought Gilbert and Lukey were solid for the Cowboys. Um, Hammer and Hiku were were okay out in the centres. Hiku's defence, he seems to lead that, defensive edge I think it's the right one for the the Cowboys and he sets up their structure and tells them where they need to be and for one of the older players in the games having a really good um, season this year Robson, Tamalalo and Drinkwater were easily the best players for the Cowboys and they stood up when it was mad when it mattered and they were pretty much the whole reason that the Cowboys scored points oh Daggy, no Daggy, I'll let you I'll like I'll go last like you did for the, the <laughs> Tigers. Uh, I don't know. I don't have much more to add. Uh, I was going to mention Hiku, like you said, just um, just strong in defence, um, and and making sound decisions, which hasn't always been a hallmark of his game. I would suggest, but they they now have um, confidence breeds confidence, I guess. And there's now um, you can now trust all their forwards, if that makes sense. You can now plug them in. Uh, Lukey's now getting games under his belt. He's only, um, you know, in the, what, 20-odd games range, and he's uh, didn't miss his partner in crime. Tom Gilbert's been good all year. and um, But it was just more of a steamroller effort, and as a result, you get to have uh, Scott Drinkwater look good at the end of the day. Um, so it was business as usual. I was very disappointed. Titans is, is all I really say. Um but why change it? Why change what's been happening all year? I assume Mo was injured because he, he only played half an hour, um, and he was good. But the edge defence been an issue for going on two years, and doesn't seem like there's any indication to change any structure. Um, 
bar ad like Izaku to the end of it. So I'm not sure that helps. <laughs> their McIntyre tries really hard, but he's not a big body. And when they lose their one big body they've got, uh, well, two with with Tino out, they, they do tend to get belted up a little bit too much. And that's maybe that's the, the crux of the issue um, when it all comes back to it. Uh, they'll miss Campbell, obviously, because a lot then goes back on Sexton as we go forward. But, um, look, they played they played um, Tigers a position higher in the ladder, so I thank them for that. <laughs> so the Cowboys, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I loved watching that team play. Um, I, again, feel horrible for tipping them to finish last at the start of the year. One thing I did notice, though, um, usually um, – Chad, and it, it's probably part of it because Tom Dearden's not there. I noticed he ran the ball a lot more, and so did Reese Robson as well. I've always seen Reese Robson as a more defensive hooker, but I think a lot of that also comes down to the Titans actually letting these players run a bit more. I feel like it's also a reflection on the Titans. I think Dearden not being there sort of forced, what might have made Chad feel more forced to actually run the ball. That's one thing I noticed, but I'd say largely the drink water. Robson and Tamalo, I have to agree. But I'd say the back five for the Cowboys was strong as well overall. Onto the Titans. Not much more I can say on um on them that I already haven't, but I will say it was um it was an honor and a privilege to be breathing the same air as their best player today and seeing him at a distance. He looked happy. I hope he's well. Um and I when I saw him, he was um, as I said, chatting to Josh Papali as they were coming out of Parramatta Plaza. So uh, as a man who loves um, morality and has good morals, I sincerely hope they were discussing a somehow to Canberra because it's, <laughs> it's better than where he's currently at um, and maybe work something out for Mo as well because yeah, nothing else to say about. Yeah, the point about Reese Robson uh, – and we may have all thought at the start of the year that being a defensive hooker is that he was been in a team for three years where they've had to defend. He hasn't had the chance to. He hasn't had a chance to be an aggressive. And he hasn't now he's in a team like um, Cotter and McIntyre who've been making fifty and sixty tackles as well. It's basically been him trying to shore up that middle. So you got a couple more in there that are making some tackles. The thing is, he's now a player who, if I know, he's four deep, uh, but. He's almost a traditional Queensland hooker if the opportunity ever arose. I think he could um, slot in there. But I know there's, like I said, there's three in front of him. Uh, but He does seem to pick the right time to go as well. He doesn't just sort of run for the sake of it. When he does, it's always generally there's something mm. there or thereabouts. Sorry, Ali? Is he a Queenslander? <laughs> I think Cause so. Because I know he came from he came from the from the Dragons. So Yeah, let's find out. 3-2-1, uh, Bun. Oh, Drinkwater gets three points. Um, yep. He was basically the catalyst for majority of their points. Jason Tamalolo had one of his better games of this year and one of his better games for the last couple of years. I gave him two points. And then I had Robson with the one. Now he's uh, from Marimbula. There you go. That's, that's yeah. in Queensland. And it's still on Karingba. So he is a New South Wales hooker. So I guess he's three deep as well. Well, two oh. deep. It's probably closer than for the New South Wales. Hey, what if it's not if it's not if it's not Appy? He's next after Appy, I'd suggest. Probably, yeah. Possibly at the moment, yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, we get to the Panthers thirty, Cowboys twelve, uh, eighteen. Sorry, Cowboys yeah. Bulldogs eight. Thirty Bulldogs to eighteen. <laughs> it's been a long, long day. Burton and Adokar eighteen. That. 
Five tries to three, four out of five conversions played, three out of three for the Dogs. Uh, one out of one penalty attempts for Penrith. 86% completion for Penrith, 90% for the Bulldogs. 33 out of 38 sets played, 38 out of 42. Five line breaks to four. 16 tackle busts for Penrith, 23 for the Bulldogs. Five offloads to 11. Three force dropouts by the Bulldogs. 402 tackles for Penrith, 313 for the Bulldogs. One ruck infringement to three. One inside the 10 against Penrith. Eight penalties conceded to six. 10 errors by Penrith, four by the Bulldogs. Appy made 48 tackles. Jeremy Marshall-King made 42. James Fisher-Harris with 203 running metres. Josh Adokar with 172. Appy missed five tackles but made 48. Staines missed three and made three. Avarillo missed two and made four. Burton with 98 supercoach points. Kickout with 86. James Fisher-Harris and Jeremy Marshall-King both with 74 points. Now, um, you're going to say it much better than me, Bum, but... Um... To go a bit gump for a minute here, it really stood out in this game. The difference, the reason Penrith are so good is because they try harder. You watch those their backs, <laughs> like you watch their backs bring the ball. Write that down. That's right. You watch yeah, yeah, the yeah. backs bring the ball back all through this game, bar probably the whatever it was, fifteen minutes. Um, Fisher Harris was sitting on the sideline. Uh, they just run back and they hit the line hard and they set up the next bloke and the next bloke and away they go. And as a result, you can plug in two blokes from reserve grade and they can do a, a fine job. Uh, they look like a very good football team. Uh, and even the bench forwards uh, were okay, but the, I thought the front row was enormous in this game. Fisher-Harris and Leota, both good. Uh, and the only time Dogs got back into it was when they were off. It was pretty simple to watch. Dylan Edwards in is in red-hot form and going very well. Um and Matt Burton, you know, when they did have a bit of a sense, Matt Burton was good. And kudos to the Fox. You know, his efforts never been in doubt, and he did get two tries and um, tries as hard as any winger in the game. Let's say that. So let's very interested to see how how Origin pans out for the current side and and who might come in in the outside backs. Uh, Barn, you're going to sum that up much better. So go for it. <laughs> no, well, obviously Penrith weren't at their best. They're down on troops, but they did more than enough. More than enough to keep the dogs at arm's length. Um, they they did manage to push their way into it a couple of times, and I thought it was a pretty decent effort out of the Bulldogs forward pack. Probably one of their better ones for the year. Um, as a pack, like most of them were were, were decent, um, but there were really no chance of a win at the end of the day. A couple of you know lovely kicks from Burton uh, to, led directly to tries for. Josh Adokar, and they were able to sort of keep their themselves in the game. But if you plug another six Panthers into this team, this could <laughs> this could have been fifty to six, you know, realistically, maybe fifty to twelve. But um, yeah, and then those two were the reason that kept them in there. Appy was okay, but probably I thought he had a little bit less involvement in this game than what he has in recent games. Um, he didn't seem to run a lot, but his passing game is always fantastic. One of the best services. Out of dummy half, you'll get in the game. Uh, the right-hand side of the Panthers team struggled. Robert Jennings and, and um, Charlie Staines, nothing sort of went that way. And when it did, it broke down pretty quickly. So they just concentrated on that left-hand side and attack, which they love to do. Um, there was some, um, I thought, Siamana Fungi and Jackson were decent for the dogs. Jeremy Marshall King and uh, Max King were re really good. Max King's developing into a quite a good uh, young forward there. And then, as I mentioned, Josh Adekar and Burton were easily the best for them. 
O'Sullivan and Falls were were okay. Um, they they had a pretty good kicking game, uh, which got them around the field and led to a try or two uh, with the, the ball in the air. But they were there was no running threat from either of them. I don't think either of them took the ball to the line at all realistically in this game. It was left to the, that left-hand side in Targo, May and Edwards, and they looked dangerous every time they got the ball out there. You chime in, um, kick out every now and then he runs one up or he just taps it on for the, the quicker blokes on his outside. And it's an absolute nightmare trying to control that left-hand side for Penrith, even when you don't have the best two halves in the, or arguably the best two halves in the competition out there, directing them around where they need to be. So I thought James Fisher-Harris and Kikau were the be- easily the best two players on the field. We've, um, you know what's been tremendous, though? Side, is, sorry, um, Burton was probably right up there as well. Kikau's but. defense this year has been fantastic. Uh, mm. You know, in a world where we like to talk about David Vita a lot, um, he offers he almost as much. Like, he yeah. does, like, you know, a lot of games last year he, was, he wasn't in the game. Yeah. Whereas... At least he's you that, know, that having is, some yeah, my sort point. of Yeah, he, he seems to always be. He seems to be touching the ball now, almost at least once a set. But um, he saves tries. He's there's been times uh, his last man, you know, holding up a ball over the line, uh, makes some great tackles, hits blokes when he has to. So um, just. He's just been really, it's been one of his best. Flanagan, Actually, he to be smacked honest, Flanagan three or four yeah, times in this game. But it's <laughs> just, just like been one of his. Um, I think it's just been one of his best seasons overall. He's been great yeah, all year. Absolutely, Ollie. All right, so now the dribble's out of the way. It's time for the real analysis. Mm. <laughs> I can't fucking get amongst it, son. Sentence. It's almost as if um, after the team list were announced, Kurt Falls and Sean O'Sullivan might have been sitting at training a little bit nervous because no Cleary, no Luai. Etc. so on and so forth. Kurt Falls playing his first ever NRL game. But then they notice a shadow, a big shadow appear. Big shadow. Oh. A hand on each shoulder, they turn around. Never fear, Fish is here. Because James <laughs> Fisher-Harris had an absolutely stupendous performance, I thought. And I don't think it's just because the other blokes are out. I think he's been pretty consistent. But over the past couple of weeks, we're just sort of starting to notice it. Like even against the Cowboys, I thought to that point was probably his best performance of the season. This yep. one's followed it. So maybe he's really starting. To I think get... it helps when you've got plenty of partners in crime. And this was the one he had to actually. Yes. Do be the standout. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? He is arguably the best front row in the game. He's sort of up there with Payne Haas. And for so long, Payne Haas was putting the Broncos on his back. So it was interesting to see a game where it was sort of set up perfectly for fish to an extent to put his side on his back um, and run with it. I think he did a terrific job. Um, other than that, I'd say Matt Burton was, was trying his hardest. And when the Bulldogs sort of got their opportunities, he did well to take advantage of them. And Josh had a car on the back of that. I've seen a lot of people sort of saying that um, it was Kikau's big dominant performance. And while he did have a good game, I'd still probably put Fisher-Harris above him. Um, and Coruscant as well. I think Coruscant also a solid game, but maybe not as good as a lot of people were saying. For me, Fish was the clear standout in this team. And you're right, when um, it, it's no secret that when Fish and Leota, et cetera, were off the field, that's when the Bulldogs got those opportunities and where Burton was able to dictate play a bit more and Fox come on the back of that. So we're on three to Fish. 
uh, two to Burton, one to Kickow. Are you going to flip that, Barney? You got other? Oh no, definitely had Fisher Harris. This was two two or three games in a row. I think now he's got over two hundred meters. Um, played sixty five minutes, nineteen hit ups or nineteen runs for two hundred and thirty meters, seventy post contact meters, offload, tackle bust. He was he was definitely the leader in this game. And if he's not there, um, the Cowboys are actually a chance of sneaking a win in here. I think. Um, Leota was good, but he was by far the most dominant player on the field, I thought. I had Burton with the two points because without him, they don't score a point. And um, he looked quite good, actually. Um, He's starting to sort of put his stamp on this team and telling everybody where they need to be and um, the lines they need to run. And he's sparking up a pretty good combination there with Josh Adokar. And then I had Kikau with the one point. uh, Dangerous every time he touched the ball. But it helps when you're running at centers and wingers and halves instead of running straight up the guts into the big boys. So, yep, no, I agree. Uh, and just for the record, uh, despite my earlier uh, gaff, they were playing against the Bulldogs. But uh, I'll have a quick break. Are they? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I need to redo my analysis. Yeah, start that again. Manly Sea Eagles defeated the New Zealand Warriors. Uh, soon to be more New Zealand than they are now. The stats, Barn and then. Oli, you know, you've been hanging to get in first. You can go first. You always give me shit ones, but... We'll give you well, the I next did give two, you the mate. first fucking game, mate. We'll give you the next two so you can have a real uh, crack, eh? I don't really mind. <laughs> seven tries to Manly, two to the Warriors. Six out of seven conversions played, two out of two for the Warriors, and two out of two penalty attempts for Manly. 87% completion played, 72%. 35 out of 40 sets played, 26 out of 36 150-plus post-contact metres for Manly, seven line breaks to three, 43 tackle bust to 19, 11 offloads to seven, one force dropout from both teams, 0 20s 239 tackles played, 330. Four ruck infringements against Manly, one against the Warriors, six penalties conceded to 10, eight errors to 10, a sin bin for the Warriors. Croker with... 38 tackles, Harris with 41, Garrick with 225 running metres, Walsh with 137. Ola missed five tackles, made 17. Harris Tavita missed nine tackles and made 20. Garrick missed, uh, Garrick with 99 supercoach points, Crocker with 94, and then four other manly players before you get down to Bunty Afoa on 53 points. What did Ola get? Super, I don't know. Obviously, one of those other four, I would imagine. I think he got about 86, 87. Well, the Warriors are a bad team for one. um, And Manly aren't that good either, but they look like superstars here, especially a couple of players who haven't looked like superstars since the whole competition was being played in the Sunshine State. So for one, Jason Saab. I thought looked really well, and I don't think he's really had a good se- a good game this season when he's been in first grade before that. I thought Jake Travojevic, off the back of not being selected for Origin, put in a like a, a good shift, a decent effort. But it's it's usually sort of the um, a similar performance to what you'd expect from him. He definitely ran more, but still very solid defensively. I thought probably the biggest impact, at least in this game, was Martin Tapau off the bench personally. Um, I think he sort of he was dominant against the Warriors forwards in the middle. Um, and he sort of broke this game apart, I think, when he was on the field as well. Um, but the, these Warriors, they're just at, – like at this point, well, their coach has finally been sacked after just a dreadful performance where um, – sorry, not, not being sacked officially, but 
left after after this dreadful performance, and I think that's really all that needs to be said about this team. Look, there's um, you didn't mention him. Thanks for leaving him on the table for me. But um, <laughs> we we spruced up Schuster before the game, but Olakawatu was a beast in this game. Uh, I'm pretty much surprised he only had. 17 runs because it felt like he just touched a ball every five minutes and was beating four blokes off. Uh, don't Google that. Uh, was <laughs> <laughs> every time he did. Or maybe uh, you do. If you... <laughs> oh, whatever. But, um, yeah, 10 tackle busts it looks like officially, but uh, he was taking three or four blokes with him every time he touched a ball. He was a monster on the field uh, and was, I thought, the clear standout. And I thought was the story, of the, to be honest, the story of the match. Um because a lot of his runs led directly to points, gave him field position every time he touched a ball, and was outstanding. As a result, Andrew Davey got to look good having a couple of the follow-up <laughs> hit-ups and, uh, you know, riding his, uh, riding his uh, what do they say? Don't Not so much either. his coattails, but um, when you catch a wave, you know, something like that. Anyway, cares. Um, the rest of them all look good. Schuster, I, I didn't think uh, he was good and a strong try and everything, but I don't think he... Uh, was Bob Fulton by any means? No, he just looked more yet. like a second rower. He looked to me like yeah. someone who would look fantastic playing in, on the ed- on the other edge and giving him another option, really. But um, they, that's the decision they've made. Uh, I thought that was the story of the game. Ruben Garrett keeps looking great, uh, and given he's so young, like he is feasibly an option. I think at another club if, for a, a full time fullback position spot, yeah, if you were looking that way, given. Uh, given he's probably had, well, he's had two full years just about playing there now, but uh, given uh, he's still got development, he's a good, very good goal kicker as well. He might be able to make a fair bit more money looking elsewhere. I don't know what his contract's like. Um, yeah, he's quick enough, strong enough, decent but, um, footwork. Good player, good yeah. player, bar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I was a dominant display from Manly, especially through the right through the guts of the of the field. Um, we haven't said that all year. We've been pretty quick to bag him out for the majority of the season, and they probably deserved it. Um, the majority of the games this year, but um, there, there was a massive change. LOA has been the one who's been dominant through the middle of the field in this in uh, the majority of the season, and he took a back seat to to follow Sipley and to power through the middle of the field. Uh, Sipley was fantastic in the early going and in, in, and in his second stint. I think it was probably the best game I've seen out of Sipley for a long time, to be honest. It, it may even be the best performance I've seen out of him out of his career. Um, he was destructive ball in hand and didn't you know, didn't miss his job in, in defence. Um, you mentioned Jake. I thought Jake was actually down a little bit in this game. Um, his ball playing was to the fore, just uh, it set up a little bit of, um, you know, he, he did help out Schuster and Foran in the, in the backs, but I don't think he didn't do as much work as he normally does. Normally, Blake makes normally 50 tackles and all the rest of it. But if it means he runs a little bit more and helps out with some ball playing, then it's probably not a bad um, trade-off, really. The the middle of the Warriors got absolutely destroyed for half an hour. And then as soon as the middle just fell apart, they started hitting the edges with Harper. Harper had probably his best game. Mm. One of his best games in his um, NRL career. I could probably only remember one or two other ones last year. Even when, in defence um, too, he was... Um, yeah, he was. Good. and But ball in hand, he was carving back through the middle and he made a couple of people look silly at times. The Warriors didn't look interested to me. Um, 
the only one who really looked like he was having a proper crack, well, well there's two of them. There was Tohu Harris, but he's still not match fit at the moment. He's doing his job, making his tackles, and you know, he, but he's not busting. Through, uh, he's not running the ball like he used to. And Walsh, Walsh tried as hard as he possibly could. But again, um, he's a marked man, so he, he doesn't make as much impact as he could. They didn't look like scoring a point apart from when Walsh did make a break and then put somebody away. And then there was a barge over against defence that wasn't really interested close to the line. The Warriors are going to be down in the... like. It, I can't see them being much better than the Bulldogs for the rest of the year, so... At $7.50 to win the wooden spoon, they're probably not the worst bet in the world, realistically, if the dogs can jag a win here or there. But I, I can't see anybody but the dogs and the Warriors win the wooden spoon at the moment. Well, this is this is a concern because in an expanding cop, I've, I've talked about for three years, but there is now more chance. Like I said, we're, we're in a race to the bottom of this competition. There are more chances of running last and running first. Yeah, but they're the worst to buy a fair way at the moment. Even the Tigers on their worst day would probably beat the Warriors in this game. No, we couldn't. <laughs> <though. That's a> <laughs> um, Bunty Afar and Aitken were probably the best two players for the Warriors. Murchie did a job, and then you could add Walsh in there as well. But as as you mentioned, Davy, Aloe, and Jake did a job, but they weren't great. Power actually had a go with yeah. Sipley for a change, and they were good through the middle. Amoli was a wrecking ball on the edge, but I thought Garrick was the best player in on the field, and I gave Garrick three points. I gave Olakawatu two, and then it was a toss up between Sipley and Tafua, uh, Power, sorry for the one. They've got the Paseka came back last week in reserve grade, I believe. When you, if you put him on the bench instead of Kepi, all mm-hmm. of a sudden there's a little bit of starch to that. To that, it's a, not a bad four pack, and I think last year we got away from it. Everyone got a bit freaked out by playing two bigger teams, but w- with the slowing back down of the game, I think you, this team especially could carry four props. And uh, given LOA is not a you know a massive body, um, and be more yeah. effective. Yeah, well, you don't need to worry about that. Um, the rushing six again in your own forty now. You can kick it down, and you can set up your big guys to roll over the halfway line, and then play off the back of that. Yeah. So. It probably does lean a little bit more towards some bigger bodies in the middle. And I would mentioned it all year. I don't know how Paseca hasn't, every time he's been fit, hasn't been probably a starting prop in this team. But I agree. Uh, I was going Ola Kawatu 3, Garrick 2, Oliver, so you get the casting vote. Uh, to power. Thanks, well, Oliver. Three. What? No, because I know you were saying before, Barney, as well. No, we're talking about the two and the three, two and not three. the one. Two and the three. Oh, Garrick or Mr. Kamali? Uh, Garrick. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 22-16. Gary Kamali and Tapao. Tapao, there we go. Uh, yeah, interesting for Marty because I think they've said he's going, isn't he? So he's obviously trying to get himself a one last job. Yep, another year somewhere. 22-16, the Raiders. They're a team we can talk about again. Uh Defeated the Roosters, who are a team we can probably sharpen our pencils for again after watching this. They, Barney, what did the stats say to reflect that? The Harms and the Roosters. There's probably only been three games this year where they've looked like they knew what they were doing, to be honest. But um, four tries to the Raiders, three to the Roosters. Three out of four conversions played two out of three. 
and a missed field goal for the Raiders. And that was goal Jamal. That was a shank and a half, that field goal attempt. But <laughs> 76% completion for the Raiders, 74% for the Roosters. 32 out of 42 sets played 29 out of 39. Three line breaks to four. 25 tackle busts for the Raiders, 40 for the Roosters. Eight offloads to nine. One force dropout by the Roosters. 381 tackles by the Raiders, 330 by the Roosters. One ruck infringement against the Roosters. Two inside the 10 against the Raiders. Five penalties conceded to 10. 11 errors from both teams. Hudson Young made 42 tackles. Connor Watson made 35. It's a pretty good effort when I think he only played about 50 minutes. So. Tarpany with 209 running metres. Manu with 288. Whitehead with missed seven tackles, made 42. Tomako missed four and made 18. Uh, Takiaho missed four and made 34. Manu with 130 supercoach points. Elliot with 99. And Xavier Savage with 96. We need a, um, I need to get a, a siren or a bell or something that we ring when the best player on the field was on the losing team. Because <laughs> it's a fair effort. But Joey Manu was an absolute freak in this game. I know you, you've spruiked him as top 10 and he looked at this game, but he looked massive. He looked strong and fast and big and... Uh, every time someone came near him, he smashed him off. Uh, 288 running metres and 14 tackle honest. busts uh, and was probably this close to the only reason they were in this game. I thought the Roosters' halves yeah. were pretty average. So, I thought they were yep. awful. And um, Manu, Manu, Manu sort of dragged him kicking and screaming uh, with Crichton and Tupanua. I thought other than that, I wouldn't be talking too much about anyone else on the team. Uh, Nat Butcher does try hard, I suppose, but um, <laughs> I thought Crichton was good too. Satili could have scored four tries in another day, um, they but they kept setting up. They yeah. came again very they one-dimensional. They stopped him a couple of times. Trying yeah. to set that up, and there was some good Canberra defence. Uh, but I was – and I said this the other day, and I think a few people laughed, but isn't Joey, Joey Manu's the New Zealand footwork, isn't he? Surely you pick him at fullback. Has to be. Can't not. You're going to put Chance in front of him? No, no way out. Uh, <laughs> right, unless you're going to. That's about the only unless, other option, isn't is it? Brent Webb still um, around somewhere? But oh, you got Walsh. The, you got Reese Walsh there that you can. Oh no, he's a Queenslander. Queenslander. Yeah, so. that he was. Yeah, Manu's a, and would be almost first pick fullback in. 14 you know what the teams. worst part is? If they'd actually played somebody else at fullback, I think you the Roosters might have won this game because Manu would have been closer to the ball and actually it's probably true. pushed into the halves and created a few more opportunities rather than. Someone trying to create opportunities for him and then he's getting stuck and then having to sort of push people off and then try and create other opportunities, whereas he might have just jumped in there and put people away himself. <laughs> but, well, and that's the thing. He, he could have gone to 5'8 and been every bit as good as Dylan Brown or someone else on the day. I would have been better than Walker in this game. Uh, I can promise you that. This was the best indication yet. Maybe the best yet, but it's a clear indication that that halves combination isn't going isn't working. Can't say isn't going to work, no. but... Um, and it was shown up massively. Uh, as I said, Crichton, Crichton's back to his best. He's playing well. Uh, but let's talk the other team. I guess we have to acknowledge the Raiders are a, a genuine top eight threat now. They uh, The defence is good. Uh, the scramble's really good. The scramble's they're, they're, fantastic. They're working for each other. And yeah. It's, yeah. And that's, uh, that's half the battle when you talk, we talk about a lot of these other teams. If yeah. you're doing that, you're in front of six other teams at least. Tarpane was tremendous. Uh, hoisted them up as, as his... Uh, 
as we said, of a few players lately, and um, and carried his forward pack, his footwork um, and strength was fantastic, and um, really didn't tire. And um, Hudson Young was great. Adam Elliott, uh, one of his better games so far, and uh, Corey Husber starting at prop was. Um, he had a red hot crack, man. Probably like, his best he game. might have made might a have couple of issues game. here and there, but that charge down and pick up yeah. and the way that he got him away and his um his energy and enthusiasm actually worked for him this time rather than him getting frustrated and trying to take heads off and make mistakes and whatever. He actually, yeah, he was he was really good. Uh, and throwing Sutton on the bench. Their, their forwards are all they've got a good forward pack and they're now, like you said, working for each other and working hard. And it's setting him up to win games of footy. What do you make of this, man? Oh, it was a good, tough battle. Um, it wasn't the highest skill level of a game that we've seen for a while, but it was decent. And the yeah, the Raiders forwards, as you mentioned, were the reason that they won this matchup in the middle. Um, the Roosters' back rowers were good, Tupanua and Crichton, which you both, you've mentioned both of those. Um, but in the middle, really, the only one was Takiyaho. There was no real help for him in the middle of the field. And Tarpany made it his job to make sure that he was better than Takiyaho and he was much better than him. Um, he's offloading. He's he's actually quite quick for a big guy as well. So he hits the line with at pace. And it find, like I think he's got the most post-contact meters out of anybody this year. Um, and it takes two and three blokes to drag him down every time he hits the line. Uh, he's Yeah, he's gone to another level this year and he's, he's definitely leading this pack. With um, if Papali would have been in here, who knows what could have happened in this game if they had both of them there. But um, you know, it's a different story. At the end of the day, the Roosters, the Raiders were just tougher for longer than the Roosters. Um, the Roosters got away with a couple of you know the the bomb to the corner, which most teams get a try out of every week, and then um, as you mentioned, the. Tilly should have scored two or three tries and against other teams he probably would have, but they, they got there, they got underneath him, they pulled him away from the line and saved two or three tries there. The Roosters had no spark at all, realistically, unless Manu had the ball in his hand. Kiri had a couple of efforts where he went into the line and did create something, but he didn't do it anywhere near enough. Um, He's gone from being a top three or four half in the game to he's mid-range now, if not just yeah. below mid-range. And um, I don't know what's gone on there. I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing and he just doesn't have the confidence to take on the line the way he used to. But when he was at his best, it was always that he was sprinting into the line with support players on either side and he was creating problems for the defences. And now they just sort of sit off him and watch him float towards the outside and, not a lot comes from it, to be honest. But um, Takiyaho played pretty well with a few poor patches. I think there was a space there in five minutes where he dropped two or three balls and then took someone's head off. But he definitely had a crack. And Marnie was easily their best. You mentioned Horsburgh. I thought Whitehead did a job. Fogarty was decent. He gives them that structure that they have, they've been missing for a little while. And um, I don't know if Whiten's still the answer when he does come back, but Fogarty is adding something uh, at the moment. You mentioned, you've mentioned pretty much everyone except for Xavier Savage. I don't think you mentioned um, that, that pick up and gather and score the try. You can see, you know, we all had wraps on him at the start of the year and then he had the, he got brought back in and had this bludger of a game, but 
there's definitely a very high skill level from that kid and he's got a lot of pace. So you, if you can plug him into the right at the right time in this team, he'll be good. But if you put White in back moved him back into the centers, <laughs> I've said it enough, but it becomes quite a scary team all of a sudden because you have you can have Savior Savage uh running off him out wide. And I and, think and Schneider's another... probably a decent option to play at six yeah. or seven. Yeah. Oliver? Well, I thought overall, as Barney said, it was, a, it was sort of a tough game. There wasn't, I'd say, overall, overly a lot separating the two teams. The effort was decent overall from both sides. One of the things that I think let the Roosters down, though, was their discipline. Or maybe it was more um, the fact that Canberra were a more disciplined side. Um, I'm not quite sure um, the exact, I'll check it now, the exact um, penalty rate, but... Yeah, Raiders conceded five, Roosters conceded ten penalties in a six-point game where you've got two teams playing relatively well, I would say. Um, a lot of good efforts in there. When that's the penalty count, then you find it very hard to find yourself um, on the winning side of things. So I think that had a bit of an impact too, but I feel like in terms of the individual efforts, you guys covered it off pretty well. But just Daggy, on your point of Canberra potentially finishing eighth, you also brought up how the wooden spoon race is probably a bit stronger than the race for the premiership. The race for eighth might be the most interesting. Just thinking about it right now, realistically, you've probably got South Sydney because they've still got Latrell to come back, whatever's going on there. Um, the Raiders and the Dragons probably. So, And at the moment, I'm probably undecided. You could chuck in Manly and the Sharks on their inconsistent form as well. Um, you got the Broncos possibly in there sniffing around as well. There's there's six to seven, six to eight teams there that could be in those last if, two spots of the eight. If Souths played, like, if Souths Ford Pack played like they did last week, they're going to beat a lot of teams with Latrell back. Yeah, that's the thing. That's right. So, that's right. And they haven't. They've, played, they've done it once. So yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, I guess the other quick point, Suwali off his origin camp managed to drop, what, three balls in the air over the line. Might yep. have been different, but, it, well, you know, that, that's also a result of Canberra pressure. One as well that he probably but, shouldn't um, have grabbed and scored. So. Yeah, any, any thoughts on him? He's got a lot of growing to go. Um, he's starting to do the tough work out of his back end, which is um, it's, it's good to see. We're still yet to see him burn somebody on the outside or sort of really cut back in and step through somebody, which the, all the hype about him was his footwork and his speed coming into first grade. So if this is his base and then he can add that to it over the next 12 months, he could be an absolute superstar. At the moment, he's probably just above mid-range, but he is a an elite threat in the air. Like, I know he dropped a couple, but... You don't see many blokes jumping that far above other wingers and putting themselves in a position to score a try. Like I know it doesn't always happen. The ball bobbles out or you know, you just you left too early, a little bit too late. But he's generally a metre above the bloke that he's jumping over the top of to come down with the ball. So he's, an, yeah, he's a terrific athlete and he could be anything. Okay. Ollie, nothing? Well, I guess the only thing I'd really add on... So while, and I guess it sort of creeps into the origin chat we're about to get into is I think him being selected for the New South Wales side and what I think Andrew Johns in particular said about him, they picked him because in the future, he's, they see him playing origin for 10 to 12 years and being a future talent. I feel like as well, whilst Brad Fitlow is coach and you've got the likes of Joey, et cetera, there, 
their mentality is sort of, and I guess we saw it to an extent with Campbell Grant and Keon Kalal Matangi last year, is that when it comes to New South Wales's extended bench, we shouldn't necessarily be going for the guys who are good enough but just missed out. I feel like they say it a bit, a bit more as this guy's going to be playing Origin in two to three years. Let's get him in camp now, even though he might not be playing with um, an origin level of form or near to that. So I feel like that's going to sort of be... Get him round the boys. I don't, yeah, and I obviously don't have a problem with that either, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, if you're outside the 18, then yeah, you probably are better off to pick some young guys and some debutantes and get them in and around and get their ass grabbed and you know, get out and have a drink with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it on that note, shall we? Uh, three points to Tarpani, two to Manu. Nothing weird. Nothing weird. Yes, yeah. three, two, I agree. What have you got for one? Uh, what have I got for one? That's a fine question. Uh, let me think. I was just about to say, uh, let's go Savage. Savage, yeah, I, that would. I had another one, um, but I did have Savage in there as well. I had Tarpany, obviously with the three, he he carried this team, and I think they the Raiders probably lose if he's not out there. Marnie with two points, and Elliot or Savage for the one. Well, like all their back row, sort of like Young, Satin, and uh, Elliot are all sort of similar. So, so Savage was a bit um, fantastic pickup and try and. Um, Let's give Savage one, unless Ollie's got an objection. No, I'm feeling quite savage. Yeah, All right, time. Let's save the origin preview for its own show. So let's get into our salute. And let's do the Braith first. Oof. You know I'm going to have the Braith through this week? Is Braith and Asta. After he... On his his popular... TV discussion show last night, he said apparently Dean Bulldog Richie had no right to any opinion on players because he never played first grade, which no, might yeah, be good. the worst possible yeah, yeah. fucking take on anything because apparently no one's allowed to have opinions <coughs> unless you're a first grader. Mm. Braith's never hosted a TV show before and still got to do that, so uh, he doesn't do that any good either. So uh, I'm not a first grader, watched... but my opinion is you're a fuckwit, Brace. so there you go. Um, Bulldog's probably watched three times as much football as fucking Braith and Astor oh, as well. 100%. So. Uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah, Braith won his own award. Well done, Braith. <laughs> I like it. I like it. What do you got, Ollie? Well, I think I'm going to jump on the back of that. You've brought me back around to the Braith as well, <laughs> but for a bit of a different reason. Really, I should be saluting this person, but I don't really want to. I feel like there are other salutes I could be given. So this is going to come back to a slap for Braith, and that's, the beautiful, lovely Yvonne Sampson returned to our screens on the weekend interviewing Billy Slater. And as uh, we were sitting there uh, watching it on the screen, Daggy, we spoke about how much we want her back. Yvonne is the reason yeah. that Braith doesn't deserve a job. And yeah, the reason, the reason, yeah. She's actually the reason the award exists. <laughs> she is, here's, the thing, about right? it. here's the thing. She's, she's very good. Mm. She is. But for this particular example, it is highlighting – Braves ineptitude and it's breeding that want in me for Yvonne to come back. I like it. I like it. I've just been there. Oh, just a just a butt in. Also, I did see the clip of Christian Walsh giving it to Braith on the uh inside outside is insiders on the ABC panel show he was on basically saying it's a disgrace that uh he's allowed to talk about this stuff on air when he's a manager. So good on you, Walshie. 
Yeah, good man, yeah, very well spoken to, and an intelligent man. So, if it's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what the fuck it is. But um, <laughs> I've just gone with the worst two teams this week, and there's no way that the Warriors and Titans should have been beaten as easily as they were. They, um, the stats and all the rest of the, you know, possession, field position, added up to them being beaten by, you know. Two or three tries, not absolutely wiped off the park. And those two at the moment probably don't deserve to be fielding a first-grade team. So I've got the Titans and the Warriors. Uh, you got a slap for us, Ollie? Yes, I do. And it's something that I've been meaning to bring up for a couple of weeks, uh, but don't actually think I have. I brought it up with you guys. Um, and it's not slapping the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are officially a good team. I'm going to slap this one fellow online. I don't know who it is really. I actually forget where I saw it. But these days in the NRL, you know a team's a good team when people start saying that they're cheating or there's some conspiracy or something. Che- like, how the fuck are the Cowboys cheating? Teams, teams aren't allowed to be good anymore. Yeah. So apparently to some people, every team that's won the comp the past 20 years, it's been scripted. Like teams, oh, yeah, no such thing as a good yeah. team unless it's your team, right? So yeah. apparently. Maybe that's why so many clubs want to be shit. Possibly. Hey, well, makes sense. But according to this fine gentleman, here's the theory: because the Cowboys game against Penrith um, a couple weeks back was actually their first game in Sydney for the whole season. So the competition has been scripted, and the NRL has purposely conducted the fixtures so that the Cowboys would have a long stretch where they didn't play in Sydney, which of course we all know the Cowboys have never won a game in Sydney before. So So why the fuck didn't they win the comp in the last two years when they didn't play a game outside of fucking Queensland? (laughs) So apparently... (laughs) I actually had... Yes, <laughs> apparently the only reason the Cowboys have been playing well is because the NRL, the dirty NRL, has scripted the competition so that the Cowboys didn't play their first game outside of Sydney until what was it, round 11. So I want to slap this person, but also not salute, but give a round of applause to the Cowboys because they are officially a good team because the conspiracy theories are coming out. If that conspiracy theory is true, fucking (laughs) NRL's been doing everything they can for the last two years for Queensland fucking to win the comp. And all three teams have been dog shit. So fuck it, you can put that in your pipe. (laughs) Smoke that fucking conspiracy theory. Fair Oh, well. I'm going to slap just um, Harris DeVita, Chanel. He came out, I know, like, all, all props to the bloke. He said he's fallen out of love with the game and he wants to move on. He's not going to renew his contract next year, and that's admirable. Obviously, he, he doesn't want to continue after this year. But to me, he's checked out. Um, he missed nine tackles and made 20. He had absolutely no involvement, didn't look like he wanted the ball at all. And if he wants to go, he may as well go now if he's going to be putting up those performances each week. So I, I know he's a better player and that's why I'm only slapping him and I'm not bracing him and I want him to be better next week. But if he's going to do that, he may as well go. So. And, you know, it's very hard. Once, you, once you've once you mentally made that decision, it's very hard to stay motivated. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in any form of life. Uh, who am I going to slap? I'm going to slap the... Mm, ah, slap the Titans. Why not? Uh, I was going to pick one, but I can't, like I can't even. Uh, 
Oh, uh, let's say Mo. Um, <laughs> Don't you dare. No, I won't Don't because uh, I think I assume he's injured. Kelly or one of the other. Yeah, one of those ones. Outside backs. Uh, one of the 15 others. I will salute Michael Maguire as he walks out the door. <laughs> the the man, good but I'm, a, but I'm a but I'm a premiership winning coach, and we salute you for it. <laughs> <laughs> was that you that put that up? That was Damon. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to salute the best two front rowers in the comp this weekend. I know there was only four games, but those two both hoisted their team on their back, as Daggy alluded to last week, and we didn't get a name for the award, yeah. but they both deserve it this week. It's James Fisher-Harris and Joseph Tarpany. Yeah, smart people. Give us a name for the award. Well, you've stolen Fisher-Harris from me, so <laughs> I'm going to have to go my man Joey Manu playing in um, – I'll salute Joey Manu playing in top 10 players in the world form, I guess you could say. And I hadn't even thought of that aspect with Madge of him playing at fullback for the Kiwis, but if Madge doesn't pick him – at fullback for the Kiwis, he might be going for two. From there All righty, this has been the review show, Footy and Frothy. You can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Visit rugbyleaguemerch.com to get some fine shirts and hats and beanies and steins, as uh, some people did pick up during the week. And we will talk to everybody very soon with our full origin preview. Bye, guys.